This is Neil Erwitz. I'm here today with Julianne Smith and Rachel Rizzo of our Transatlantic Security Program uh, to discuss the French elections, which was the major story over the weekend and will have ramifications for quite a long time. Um, Rachel, let me start with you. Um, Macron's victory was resounding with him beating Le Pen by about 32 percentage points. Is this the end of the National Front? Um, so I guess if we're Talking in terms of the actual name, the National Front, we could say yes, because in her concession speech, um, Marine Le Pen said that La Front Nationale, the name of it is actually going to be changed. Um, it's going to be renamed. However, if we're talking about the beliefs and the ideas that this group espouses, the answer is going to be a resounding no. Um, in the same speech, she also said that this group is going to change into a new political force. And this is actually a quote. She called on all patriots to join this decisive political battle that starts from tonight. So it's safe to say that she doesn't plan on going anywhere, and she's going to attempt to be a very formidable opposition force to Macron. Um, I think we also have to look at the totality of the National Front's success over the last decade or so. So her father, if you remember, made it into the second round of the French presidential mm -hmm. elections back in 2002, um, which was super surprising, because at the time, this party was still seen as this fringe element of French politics. and. He he received less than half of the 11 million votes that she got this year. So um, if you look at just the raw numbers, the uh, National Front was totally crushed yesterday. But if you look at um, the National Front building itself from the ground up over the last decade or so, and the extent to which it's become legitimate, quote-unquote. Exactly. So it's moved from being sort of a fringe element to a legitimate opposition force. It's actually been quite successful. So we'll definitely see more of this party going forward. And it also depends on how successful or unsuccessful Macron is in um, implementing his policies. Julie, let me switch to you for a moment. Um, so what does this say about the right-wing populism that's been sweeping Europe? Um, is this a turning of the tide? Or is is this really more of a speed bump on a very strong anti-globalist trajectory? Well, 2017 is uh, full of a number of European elections, and of the many elections that were taking place this year or are going to take place this year, uh, none was more closely watched than the French election. Mm -hmm. So you'll remember a couple of months ago, we saw uh, an election in Austria, and there too, there was a populist candidate, kind of in the far right, uh, that didn't succeed. Uh, we had an election in the Netherlands, same story. Uh, Ger Wilders did not come through. Uh, we talked about that, I think, in an earlier podcast. We did. Uh, and now we have the French election, where clearly uh, Le Pen wasn't able to pull it off. Um, and we still have the German elections. There are all mm -hmm. sorts of elections coming up. But I think there is a little bit of a sigh of relief on the part of Europeans probably the world, uh, that Le Pen wasn't able to pull it off. All that said, I don't think anybody feels that the deep disaffection with globalization, which sits at the root of a lot of the birth and rise of these parties, is going anywhere. And it remains to be seen whether or not the parties that have been winning European elections are going to be able to address the grievances that people have, whether it's socioeconomic or loss of faith 
faith in international institutions or questions about why we have international institutions like the EU and NATO. Um, so that remains to be seen. So yes, we can celebrate those of us that support the liberal order and, and we're hoping that Le Pen would be defeated. Um, but we should not be too quick to assume that this is going to be easy going can, forward. Can we, to follow up on that, can we safely assume that this is going to be at what you've laid out is going to be at the very top of Macron's agenda? Yes, absolutely. For Macron, I mean, he's got a number of things to do. He has to work with his partners in Germany on the European Union and trying to breathe fresh life into an institution that's really feeling its age and is losing the support of the European public. Um, but at home, he has a massive and difficult and ambitious reform agenda that will not be particularly easy to put forward because he has to build a coalition with people who either don't know him or aren't entirely certain that they support him. They may have voted with him and for him in opposition to Le Pen, yeah. but when it comes time to governing, it's going to be a little bit but of a different story. But he's not going to enjoy a 65% approval yeah. no, rating no, out of no, the No, 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 no. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rachel, let me ask you this. Can this election be viewed as an endorsement of the EU? Is that much too strong a way of putting it? Um, I think broadly you can say that, yes, it's um, an endorsement of the EU, but I think it's too strong of a statement to say that it's an overall resounding endorsement. Um, Macron ran on an outwardly pro-EU platform. He even went so far as to say that the membership of the EU is essential for France's future. Um, but we can't forget that yesterday 11 million people, in essence, voted against the EU. So, And as Julie mentioned, there were also millions of people who cast blank ballots and who uh, said that. Macron wasn't their first choice, but voted for him just so Le Pen wouldn't get into office. So this means that there's going to be immediate pressure placed on Macron to implement uh, the policies and implement um, uh, you know, promises made to this French electorate that feels unhappy and disenfranchised. And one of those promises is reforming the European Union. And um, he wants France to be vital to Europe again. Um, it's not going to be no easy. Exactly. Yeah. It's not going to be easy um, for it to be this sort of renewed force throughout Europe. It's He's going to have to kickstart the and reform, really, the French economy. And that's not going to happen overnight. It means he's going to have to have uh, and garner support within the French parliament, and we won't know until June whether or not that's going to happen. Um, and the success of these general EU reforms is largely going to hinge on the Franco-German partnership. Um, but Germany's skeptical about a lot of Macron's ideas, um, like creating a common EU fiscal policy, a joint EU finance minister, shared debt among um, EU member states. And Germany sort of has this belief that France can't really reform itself, and it's added to this kind of erosion of trust between the two countries. So while right now we can say that France did vote in favor of the EU, and it's a chance for France to put itself back in the picture, we have to see whether or not that trend is going to continue. So we should not be spiking the football. Not yet. No, <laughs> there's no spikes yet. <laughs> um, and Julie, let me kind of bring this out to the 30,000 foot view. Um, so our NATO and the EU breathing a sigh of relief or even showing a hint of optimism. Um, there was, after all, this uh, this election, as well as Trump, uh, President Trump recently reversing course and saying that NATO was no longer obsolete. Do you see this, see a glimmer of optimism there? Yeah, I think the um, the NATO hands on both side the, uh, sides of the Atlantic are feeling a little bit better, um, not because of the French election, um, but really because 
because of what they've seen on this side of the Atlantic. Um, we do have a U.S. president now that isn't so down on NATO. His comments about the institution are not as negative as they were during the campaign. I think he's still not entirely convinced about the utility of the NATO alliance. But all in all, I think we're in a better place. Let me put it mm -hmm. that way. On the EU side, um, that one, I do think there are EU officials kind of walking around feeling a little bit of a skip to their step. Um, uh, Le Pen had campaigned on a promise to hold a referendum like they did in the UK and possibly bring France out of the EU. I think, frankly, that would have been very hard. But still, the fact that she was just promising it did create concern among the EU bureaucrats, among EU supporters, even uh, among some folks on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, so now, of course, that's not going to happen. We have a pro-EU candidate, as Rachel outlined. But again, as Rachel also noted, it's not going to be success overnight. We're not going to get the Franco-German engine roaring at full speed in the next few weeks. That's mm -hmm. going to take time. And Macron's going to have to focus on issues at home. There's work to be done. But also, just back to Washington for a minute, we did hear news recently that Trump is actually going to sit down with the two leaders of the EU, Juncker and Tusk. When he goes to Brussels for the NATO summit on May 25th, he's actually going to see the two highest ranking bureaucrats or officials at the European Union. And that's a good thing. So yeah. maybe there is even more good news to be had there. I'd imagine they'll have some useful economic talking points on the value of the EU. Absolutely. They're going to try and make their case. And I hope, just like NATO, we'll be able to bring the president around a little bit. Well, terrific. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks. you.